Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program, and we're in part two of a four-part series where I'm sharing with you breathing mindfulness meditation. This was the top priority in terms of the meditations that the Buddha taught because it solves one of the major problems in the mind. The problem that causes discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment. And this meditation is going to gradually help to train the mind to eliminate this. And there you'll see that your discontentedness will gradually diminish. There's other things that we need to do as part of this path to enlightenment to eliminate craving as well, but this is a really significant portion. So welcome. I'm really glad that you're here to learn breathing mindfulness meditation. Last week in our first part, we ended up sharing with you the teachings related to breathing mindfulness meditation, but in terms of actually doing breathing mindfulness meditation, we didn't do that last week. So we reserve that for today. But what I'm going to do in case you are needing help to remember or have a recap of what we discussed last week, or if you weren't here last week, then I'm just going to recap what we did last week, kind of do an overview and open up to any questions that you guys might have before we actually move into our group meditation together. So Miranda is going to help me with the slides here and just walk through things uh, and kind of show you and kind of recap some of the things that we discussed last week. The way that I share teachings in this program and in the book and all the different ways that I share teachings is I go back to the words of the Buddha because it's the words of the Buddha, the teachings of a Buddha that is going to clearly share this path to enlightenment so you can see it very clear and illuminate this path to enlightenment. So I shared with you some words of the Buddha like meditate monks, do not be complacent lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. So here you can understand and don't have to believe me that the Buddha even taught meditation. You can see that he did indeed teach meditation and he encouraged us not to be complacent, to be dedicated and determined and diligent in our practice. He also shared a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. The pot is the mind, the stand is your meditation practice. So it's easy to tip over the pot or it's easy to tip over the mind the mind's going to experience discontentedness if it doesn't have this nice, stable, steady stand, which is your meditation practice. And then he shared the importance of breathing mindfulness meditation in multiple parts of his teachings. And I shared just one of those where he was saying there's this one thing when developed and cultivated that leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge to enlightenment, to nibbana, because that's the ultimate goal, is to get rid of these strong feelings, to get to this freedom of mind, to get to this peace, to 
enlightenment. And he says, what is that one thing? It's mindfulness of breathing or breathing mindfulness meditation. But we shouldn't look at the Buddhist teachings in isolation because he's not saying that you only need meditation and that's the only one thing that you need. Instead, he's sharing how important this is because he shared all other teachings that lead to enlightenment and there's an entire path here. I share this at the beginning of last week so that you could see that the Buddha indeed taught meditation. He indeed taught breathing mindfulness meditation and how important it is. As we go in our program, I'm going to be sharing other parts of the Buddha's words that show the importance of meditation and what types of meditation he taught and so forth. And in this book series that I wrote, I dedicated an entire book to just the teachings about breathing mindfulness meditation from the Buddha, because the Buddha's words and his teachings are spread out over 45 large volumes of books. And a team of people have extracted those teachings and put them into consolidated, organized form of books. And there's one book dedicated to breathing mindfulness meditation with the words of the Buddha. And that's where you'll see exactly what he taught related to breathing mindfulness meditation. Then I shared with you some meditation basics ensuring that your understanding and your definition of meditation is matching to mine or at least you understand the definition that I share when I talk about meditation. Because if we have two different definitions of meditation, then it'll be very challenging for you to understand what I mean when I'm sharing meditation and describing meditation and using the word meditation. So here I shared meditation is a technique to actively train the mind during dedicated independent purposeful training sessions to eliminate and or cultivate various qualities of mind in the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. What meditation is, is it's this dedicated, purposeful, independent, active training session where you're eliminating unwholesome qualities or you're cultivating certain wholesome qualities. And you're doing this in the seated, lying, standing, or walking positions. It's important to understand that because sometimes in modern language, someone might say, I'm gonna go exercise and meditate, or I'm gonna go walk the dog and meditate, or I'm gonna go garden or drive and meditate. These activities are wonderful for your life, but they're not actually meditation. So if I was saying, you know, be sure you do meditation two or three times a day for 30 minutes or longer, and you were thinking that walking your dog is meditating or gardening or driving is meditating, then if that's all you did, you wouldn't be doing this active, dedicated, independent, purposeful training session where you're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and arising certain wholesome qualities. So that's what meditation is, is where you're actively training the mind. And I discussed having a meditation teacher and how that's really important. And I shared with you that you're welcome to have me be your teacher if you'd like. And you can reach out in classes and ask questions. You can post questions in Facebook. You can send private messages and you can even schedule personal guidance sessions as you need one-on-one -on -one guidance in meditation or anything else along this path. And then we talked about the four positions of seated, lying, standing, and walking positions and how these are used in different ways depending on what it is that you're looking to accomplish. Then I talked about the different types of meditation. We are learning in this particular series breathing mindfulness meditation, 
which is designed to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. That's that mental longing and strong eagerness that we talked about in the Four Noble Truths about how mental longing and strong eagerness causes the discontentedness. So whether it's those conditioned pleasant feelings of happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, or those conditioned painful feelings of anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, or those conditioned feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, things like shyness or displeasure or just dissatisfaction, those are all being caused by craving desire attachment. So you don't need to learn one meditation for stress and one meditation for anxiety and another meditation for sadness and another one for anger because the cause of all of these discontent feelings is the same thing. It's craving desire attachment. And that's what breathing mindfulness meditation is going to do for you. So as you build up your practice, you'll see that discontentedness will gradually diminish over time. And you'll see this things that once arose anger in the mind, as you go, that'll slowly decline to the point where that same thing can occur and you won't observe any kind of discontentedness in the mind whatsoever. The mind will just remain and reside completely peaceful. These other forms of meditation are things that we're going to be talking about in other parts of this program. After we're done with this four-part series of breathing mindfulness meditation, I'll share with you a four-part series on loving-kindness meditation. And those two meditations are the two primary meditations that every practitioner will need in terms of developing their life practice. You won't need to learn 10, 20, 50, 100 different meditations because there's only three major problems in the mind, which is craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality. And breathing mindfulness meditation takes care of the craving. Loving kindness meditation takes care of the anger. And then the way to antidote ignorance or the unknowing of true reality is to gain wisdom, not believing these teachings, but instead independently verifying them. So you learn them, you reflect on them through independent verification, and then you practice. And as you're practicing all the teachings of the Eightfold Path, you see your discontentedness gradually diminish. So let me pause here at this point and see if there's any questions on this part of the recap up to here, and then we'll finish out our recap and go right into meditation. Any questions on anything that I shared so far, you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. There seems to be no questions at this time, sir. Okay. So then I went through starting and conducting your meditation sessions. We talked about how the mind is the boss and the body is the employee. And we've got to go through the employee or the body in order to get to the boss. And here we talked about your meditation position. It shouldn't be luxurious, but it also shouldn't be painful either. And if at any time you feel pain in the body during meditation, you need to adjust that. And you're not interested in the body being luxurious because then there's a tendency for the mind to be complacent and not able to be actively working in meditation. So you need to find that middle way with your body positioning. And that would be comfort, not painful, not luxurious, but comfortable. Then we talked about setting up mindfulness in front of you. This is awareness of mind and kind of easing the mind into meditation. And I shared with you that I do chanting there in order to ease my mind into meditation. And I'm going to do a four-part series on chanting after we do the four-part series on loving kindness. So we've got this four-part series on breathing mindfulness. Then we've got a four-part series on loving kindness and then a four-part series on 
chanting, which will help you to develop your practice and train the mind. If you have other things that you'd like to do to set up mindfulness or awareness of mind prior to your meditation, you might decide to do some stretching or yoga, empty out the organs. Some people that are into prayer, they like to do some prayer prior to meditation. You can do those kind of things if you'd like. It's totally up to you because this is your practice. But the Buddha shares with us to set up mindfulness or awareness of mind so that you're not just coming in and plopping down and meditating, but instead you're starting off with some awareness of mind, awareness of the breath. Therefore, you'll get some more benefit rather than starting your meditation and starting to get benefit 5, 10, 15 minutes into it. If you set up mindfulness as you're easing the mind into meditation, you can start getting benefit right from the beginning. And then I talked about the time, frequency, and schedule, that you can't have this permanent schedule with meditation, that instead you kind of have these anchor points like morning and evening or morning and midday or morning, midday, and evening or something like this. And understand that your meditation practice will need to adjust and be fluid. Where you're working towards building up your practice to two to three meditation sessions at 30 minutes or more per session, that would be ideal. You might start less than that. You might start at one session for five minutes a session. You might start with two sessions a day at 10 minutes or something like that. Wherever you start is where you start. And then what you do is you gradually build up your meditation practice. You're not interested in setting an alarm during your meditation because your mind will sit there and crave whether or not it's time yet. So if you set a 30 minute alarm, your mind's going to say, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Or you're going to be deep in meditation, getting all kinds of benefit, and then the alarm's going to go off when you could have actually gotten more benefit. So what you do is you do your meditations, you do those regularly, and then about once a week or so, you look at the time before you start your meditation, and then you look at the time when you're done. This way, you can just look and say, oh, it was 10 minutes. Okay, I know I need to build that up. And then the next week, you do that once then you're like, oh, okay, I'm up to 20 minutes. Outstanding. And then as you go, you just observe that your meditation practice is becoming longer and longer. And this is how you grow up to two to three sessions for 30 minutes per session. As you experience sleepiness during meditation, you can switch to standing. You can switch to walking meditation. I have a video in YouTube about how to do walking meditation. You could also just get some rest. It's oftentimes observe that when you first start meditating, the mind can be very polluted in the first three months, six months or so, you can notice that there's a lot of sleepiness that comes into the mind when you start meditating. And that's just the mind now starting to get rest and starting to get sleep, a better quality sleep that it wasn't getting before because you're starting to clear out this pollution. And if you observe that, you can either just rest and get some sleep, meditate later another time, or you can switch meditation positions. And as you go, and you continue to clear out the pollution of mind, you won't observe this sleepiness. Eventually, you'll get over that, and it won't be there any longer. There'll be physical sensations during your meditation, like in the body. You'll feel this little tickle or this little itch or you know, different things on the skin. As you observe those, just observe that they're impermanent. They arise, they change, and then they fade away. And when this is happening, If you can resist the urge to actually scratch it, even if it's for five seconds or 10 seconds, resist that urge. And then if you have to itch it, okay, go ahead and itch it. 
But then next time, try to go 20 seconds or 30 seconds without itching it. And then you'll get longer and longer to the point where you observe the itch or the sensation in the body. Then it'll change and then it'll fade away and you don't have to actually itch it. This is really good training for the mind that you can restrain the mind in this way. There's most likely going to be visual stimulation during your meditation in terms of you'll see maybe white lights or yellow lights or purple lights. This is just from the brain changing as part of training the mind. There's this connection to the brain and the brain structures will start to change and you'll see these various visual stimulations. If you see this, it's not that you're special or that you need to run out and figure out what these things are. It's completely normal. You'll experience these kind of things and just know that they're impermanent, that you might go through a period of time of having these occur and then they'll stop occurring and you won't have those anymore. So the brain needs to gradually change as you're training the mind. The structures of the brain are actually changing for the better and improving the functioning of the brain, which is also improving the function of the mind. And then some people meditate with external stimulus like music or beads or candles or things like this. And what I encourage you to do is not to use those things, is to strip your meditation practice down to just the body, the mind, and the breath. These are the only three things that you need during meditation is the body, the mind, and the breath. Then you can meditate anywhere, anytime. Whereas if you had a special phone app or a special beads or special candle that you could only meditate with these things, then the mind's holding on to it. Even music, sometimes people will build up a practice using music, but the mind is still holding on. You're trying to train the mind to let go of these things. So by stripping your practice down to just the body, the mind, and the breath, then you can let go of all these things. And now, whether you're on holiday or you're at a park or you're somewhere else, you always are gonna have for the rest of this existence, the body, the mind, and the breath. You can meditate if you build your practice just around those three things. And then I shared with you to never give up because as you're progressing on this path, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be difficulties. The mind moving from this unenlightened state to enlightenment, this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, the mind has to do a lot of work and sometimes it can be a real struggle. But this is the last struggle of all struggles. If you can work through these challenges on the path to enlightenment and acquire this wisdom and move towards this enlightened mental state, then you'll no longer experience any discontentedness whatsoever. But in the process of doing that, there's some real struggles. And that's where you reach out to your teacher or other members of the community. You can friend people. You can send private messages. You can become part of this community where there's people that you can reach out to and people that have been practicing maybe a bit more than you. And then as you're experiencing those challenges, you can get help. So the Buddha says, don't be complacent lest you will regret it later. And when you experience anger or sadness or frustration or guilt or shame, your mind's all shaken up. If you haven't been doing the work to meditate, then you're going to regret it later. You're still going to experience discontentedness from now all the way until the mind's completely enlightened. Even in that first, second, and third stage of enlightenment, there's still some discontentedness. But it's not until you get to that last stage, the fourth stage of enlightenment, that all discontentedness is eliminated. So as you are progressing, the mind might have a tendency to want to give up, but the option is just to go back to being angry, back to being sad and sorrowful and grieving and all these other discontent feelings. So I encourage you to never give up, but when you're meeting those challenges, Instead, reach out to somebody to get help 
essentially what you'd like to do is instead of running away from the challenges is you'd like to turn around and walk towards the challenge when the mind is struggling that's a time that it's gaining the most wisdom so if you experience that the mind's struggling either with meditation or any other aspect of this path that means it's working really hard and it's gaining some wisdom so on the other side of that wisdom is where the peacefulness is that's where the liberation is. So if you turn away from the struggle or you shrink back from the struggle, then you're not getting to the other side of that where the peacefulness is. So that's a recap of what we talked about last week. I'll just open up to any questions and then after questions, we'll go ahead and do a group meditation together. If you'd like to ask a question, put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. Um, it appears that the Basim has his hand raised, so let's go to him, sir. Thanks, Miranda. Well, Sayur, uh, now you're describing, I think, the ideal situation, which is to meditate without any external things. What if the case is that we have been uh, meditating with these external things? We have been uh, used, get used to this. Yeah, if somebody's out there that has been meditating already with music or beads or candles or any of these other things that I mentioned, what you do is you gradually move the mind away from that. And if you learn this methodology, you can do this with things in meditation, but you can also apply the same methodology to other craving, desire, attachments that the mind's holding on to that you'd like to give up. So what you'd like to do is say you've been used to meditating every day with music. So what you'll do is you decide, okay, I'm meditating twice a day. I've been meditating every session with music. So you gradually move it out of your practice because the mind doesn't like impermanence. The unenlightened mind doesn't like change. So if you try to go cold turkey and just completely eliminate music, the mind oftentimes gets shaken up by that and it doesn't like it. So what you do is you kind of ease the mind away from things. So you might do one session with music, one session without it, one session with music, one session without it, one session with music or one session without it. And you do that for a while. And then you might do one session with music and then two or three sessions without it. And then one session with music, two or three sessions without it. And you start expanding this time more and more to eventually the mind's willing to let go of the music. And you can do the same things if you're smoking cigarettes, if you're drinking alcohol, if you're doing other things that you know that you need to let go of ultimately and train the mind to let go of these craving desire attachments, you can do the same thing. Whereas if you're smoking cigarettes, if you're used to smoking 10 cigarettes a day, then you can reduce that down to eight cigarettes a day, right? And then do that for a week or two or three, and then reduce that down to six cigarettes a day, and then do that for a week or two or three and you just gradually diminish it like this and the mind will be more willing to let it go when you actually are training the mind to let things go it doesn't like the impermanence and the change so music and all of these things are the same exact way that as you need to start letting things go in order to get rid of the way that the mind's holding on to things you can apply the same methodology well one more thing uh, you mentioned that brain and then you mentioned mind. Are these the same thing? These are two different things. Everything <laughs> that the Buddha taught is about training the mind. So we're focused on training the mind and the mind is intangible. It's non-physical. You can't touch the mind. The brain is the organ in the body that's controlling the body. 
and that's actually tangible it's physical in nature you can actually touch the brain so these two things are completely different and separate but there is a connection between them so when you're training the mind there's an effect to the brain and scientists show us this through mris and cat scans where they're observing that somebody who's a long-term meditator the structures of the brain are changing and once they change they never revert back to the way they were before and this is the same thing the buddha taught us in terms of enlightenment and when we're training the mind that when we're training the mind and we progress towards enlightenment once we get to that first stage of enlightenment the mind will not regress and definitely once it gets to enlightenment it won't regress backwards and scientists are seeing the same thing with the condition of the brain when they're doing mris and cat scans with people who are training their mind thanks teacher you're welcome it seems like those are all the questions that we have for now sir all right well let's go ahead and do our meditation together so I'll just guide you guys through this. And then at a certain period, I'm going to just remain quiet and let you guys do the work for meditation. So go ahead and get your lower body comfortable. If that's on the floor, you might have a cushion or pillows under your rear. That gets your rear up in the air and it lessens the angle at the hips, the knees and the ankles. And this allows the body to be more comfortable. The hands and on the arms, they should be in the lap. And Gautama Buddha, he took his right hand, put that on top of his left and his thumbs together. And then he put that in his lap. You can do that. But this practice isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same. So if that's not comfortable for you, some other options are you might put your palms on your thighs or your palms on your knees or your arms on the armrest of a chair. And if you're in a chair, same thing with sitting, you might have your feet flat on the floor. You might have them crossed slightly at the ankles. It's not about everybody doing it exactly the same. So you ensure that your lower body and your hands and arms are resting comfortably and there's no muscles engaged. There shouldn't be any engagement in the lower body or the hands and arms. It should almost be like they don't exist. Then the upper body, this is different. The upper body should be erect, not real rigid and not slouched. It should be in the middle. It should be straight and erect. This is going to keep the mind attentive and alert during your meditation. And that's what we're looking for. Because meditation isn't to zone out and just kind of, you know, go to la-la land for a little while. It's time to ensure that the mind is active and attentive so that you can actively train the mind in that dedicated, purposeful training session. Once you've got the lower body, hands and arms completely relaxed and the upper body is erect, then you just close the eyes and you start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just going to establish the breath. And your breath isn't going to necessarily match up to the guidance that I give. But wherever you get to the next inhale, just breathe in through the nose, nice and gradual. And wherever you get to the next exhale, just breathe out nice and gradual. This is your practice. I'm just here to guide you. So your breath is going to be different than what I'm guiding you for. But wherever you get to the next inhale, just gradually breathe in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then exhale through the nose, just a gradual, natural breath. Breathing out, breathing in, 
and out. Here at the beginning of the meditation, you're just trying to establish the breath. A nice natural breath, experiencing the full inhale and the full exhale. Once you have a natural breath established, start fixating the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. So as you breathe in, fixate the mind on that sound or the sensation of air coming into the nose. And the same thing on the exhale, fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off and let it go. Come back to the breath. If the mind goes to the past or the future, or there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come to mind, you don't need to observe those. You don't need to label them. You don't need to allow them to come into the mind. Just wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. in out I'm going to be quiet now so that the mind doesn't even hold on to this voice but you continue to do the work of breathing in and out through the nose wherever you see that the mind is off the breath cut that off let it go and come back to the breath you haven't done anything wrong it's just the mind wandering off the breath. Breathing in and out. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in, in, out.
Just gradually ease out. We just do kind of a shorter meditation when we first get started in this four-part series and in this group learning program. And then as we go, we'll kind of expand those a bit wider. And on Wednesdays, we'll have this session where you can come together and you can learn meditation, you can practice meditation as a group, you can ask any questions that you like to help your meditation practice or anything else that's going on in your practice that you'd like to get help about with anything related to these teachings. So what you'd like to do is do this type of meditation where slowly and gradually you build up to two or three sessions per day, 30 minutes or more, and this will allow the mind to get that dedicated purposeful training that you're gonna need in order to diminish and ultimately eliminate discontentedness. Typically what we'll be doing is we'll just come in, I'll just welcome all of you guys and we'll go right into meditation. 
And then after meditation, we'll open up to any questions that you guys might have related to your meditation practice or any other aspect of the path. So like this past Sunday, I was teaching the moral conduct of the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Perhaps between that class and this class, there's some questions that have come up and you can use this time for that. So what I'll do is just open up to any questions that you guys might have related to meditation or the full path or anything that you have in the mind that you would like help with. The way that you ask questions is put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Yes, sir. Um, how does one overcome complacency when they're just starting out with a meditation practice? Yeah, complacency is a, a big one. Sometimes the mind is has this dullness or this lethargy this lack of interest or motivation, this lack of enthusiasm. And the way that you overcome that is you just got to pull up the boots, you got to put on the pants, and you just got to start walking forward and investigating the teachings. There's no you know, magic button. There's nothing like that, that you can just instantly start having uh, motivation and enthusiasm. So you've got to arise the energy in the mind through investigating the teachings of the Buddha, whether that's reading the books, coming to classes, watching videos, listening to podcasts, reaching out and getting support and help through other members of our community, reaching out and getting guidance with your teacher. But at the end of the day, you've got to just move forward and do it because what the mind wants to do, it wants to be complacent. It doesn't want to be trained. It just wants to you know, sit around and be complacent and have this lethargy and this lethargic condition. And what you'd like to do is move it in the opposite direction because it's only when the mind's in the middle that it's going to be performing optimally. So when it's dull and lethargic, lacking motivation, the mind isn't performing optimally. But also when the mind is uptight and having this mental longing and strong eagerness and constantly yearning and longing for things, the mind's not going to perform optimally there. So you'd like to bring it to the middle. So when you observe that the mind is complacent, then you start picking up the book. That's the last thing that the mind would like to do, but pick up the book, start reading or get into our YouTube channel, start watching some videos or get into our Facebook group and start reading some of the posts. You need to do this intellectual learning so that you bring the teachings into the mind. Then you do that independent verification and then you're starting to practice. And without that, the mind is just going to continue to be complacent. Thank you, sir. Would it also be wise for someone now that we are in this community and we have a community of practitioners around us, if one is facing challenges with complacency, <clears throat> to perhaps contact another member who has been practicing for longer and has a very well-established meditation practice, and maybe over Zoom or over Facebook video messenger or something like that, maybe spend a week or two meditating on a schedule with that person? You could try that, but the only challenge is, is that the mind can get attached to that. And then there's going to be impermanence there where you're not always going to be able to meet with each other and the person might get frustrated. So rather than build in attachment up front, it's kind of better to realize that, yeah, this is an independent journey. You need to be doing the work on your own. But, you know, that can help. But I wouldn't necessarily do it every day. But if somebody needed to do it, you know, two times a week or something like that, but the person ultimately, the practitioner is going to ultimately have to arise this enthusiasm, this motivation in their own mind. So we do this meditation 
on Wednesdays together as a group. And then if you're also doing the work at home, the interesting thing about meditation is that it's just like when you were a child and you didn't want to take a shower, you didn't want to brush your teeth and your parents had to you know, push you and constantly push you to do that. But eventually when you start seeing the benefits and having a clean mouth and having a clean body, you started doing it on your own because you enjoyed the benefits and you observed and you could see the benefits of taking a shower and brushing your teeth. So if you get enough meditation under your belt, you'll start seeing the improvement to the condition of the mind and you'll like that peacefulness. When the mind's complacent and you're not meditating, you're going to see that it's disgruntled, that it's grumpy, that you maybe have more bad moods, that you don't have as much clarity of thought. You're not able to access wisdom as easily and you're not going to like that. So the more you meditate, you kind of find this groove and you start enjoying the mind being in that middle. And then when it's out of the middle, you can observe it and you don't like that feeling because you're so used to it being in the middle. So that's really how you get going and motivated as you start doing it. And then as you're doing it, you see the benefits are accumulating and then you enjoy those benefits. And when you're not meditating and you're complacent, you see that the mind doesn't perform as well and you're not interested in doing that. So you start getting your own motivation, just like you did with taking a shower and brushing your teeth. Yes. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. It seems that Chrissy has her hand raised. Let's go to her. Hi. Yes. Thank you. Can you hear me? We sure can. Okay. Um, thank you. I have two questions, actually. Um, one is along the lines of Miranda's question about um, meditating with someone. I struggle with a bit of complacency, and I've noticed um, with, with exercising, perhaps, um, people suggest support groups. Like, um, like a group of people kind of holding one another accountable. Would something like that be beneficial or more create more of um, like an attachment where there's like a group, hey, did you meditate today? Or um, just talking about their meditation. Yeah, there's places where you can go there where groups of practitioners will do group meditation on a regular basis, you know, like every Monday night or every weekend or things like this. And you can do these kind of things, you know, I would say 80 to 90% of the time you would like it to be just you by yourself, body, mind, and breath, because that's what you ultimately need. But if 10 or 20% of the time you're going to these meditation meetups or these group sessions, that can be really encouraging and motivating for you. You just have to find where those are in your community, seek those out, and then go. And understand that when you go connect up with these other people, if they're not learning with someone who's basing their practice in the words of the Buddha, they may be doing all kinds of other stuff in their meditation that you're not doing. And you might just be going to that group in order to have the camaraderie and the ability to come together with a group. And just because they're doing meditations that aren't the things that you're doing, I don't necessarily suggest you do the same things they're doing because oftentimes people are meditating in ways that the Buddha didn't teach, which means that's going to take you off the path. So you could still join those meditation groups. And even though they're meditating in a certain way, you could maintain your practice in the way that you know is working with the words of the Buddha and just coming to this group for the community and being part of a community. Because oftentimes seeing people live, it builds in some motivation and you start building connections with people. 
but you also aren't interested in getting attached to it. So if it's say every Monday night, maybe you go, you know, two or three Mondays and you skip one and then you go two or three or four Mondays and you skip one just to ensure that the mind doesn't get attached to it. Thank you. You're um, welcome. Then I also had another question, if that's acceptable. Sure. Okay. Um, you had mentioned before we meditated that it isn't, meditation is not, um, I think, zoning out. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak to me more about that because sometimes it feels like when I'm meditating, maybe I'm zoning out and I want to make sure that that's not what I'm doing. Sure. What happens sometimes is people are taught that when they're meditating, they should be kind of going to la la land, you know, looking at the clouds or going to some fantasy land or reviewing things that happened in the past or analyzing their thoughts or observing their thoughts, labeling their thoughts, judging their thoughts, thinking about their day and the things that they're going to do in their day. This is just the mind being active and the mind's filling itself up with all this stuff, all this clutter. And that's what we're trying to eliminate as part of the practice. So rather than allow the mind to do all that erroneous stuff that it wants to do, instead you keep it honed and you keep it focused and concentrated on the breath. The Buddha called this singleness of mind, that you develop this concentration where you're able to focus on just one single object. But the mind's going to have a tendency to want to move off the breath because it's not going to be peaceful and content and joyful just with the breath. Because the way that the mind works is it wants something else. It longs and yearns. It wants something else because of its craving. So you keep bringing the mind back to the breath. It might be there for a minute or 30 seconds or two or three minutes. And then you observe that, whoa, it's off the breath again. And you cut that off and let it go and come back. More and more what happens is you develop this awareness of mind or this mindfulness that you catch the mind being off the breath sooner and sooner. So when you first start, you might observe it takes you five minutes or so to realize, oh my goodness, I'm meditating. My mind's been in la-la land. Let me cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. And then as you train more and more over multiple sessions, you're kind of catching it at four minutes or three minutes or two minutes, one minute, and you're catching it sooner and sooner. And it's easier and easier for you to let go and come back to the breath. And this is that attentiveness, that activeness of your meditation practice that you need to actively be aware of the mind rather than letting the mind drift and wander. But understand that the mind will drift and wander because it's not really well trained it doesn't have this mental discipline yet so all the way in the process of training the mind you're going to observe that it does wonder even for an enlightened being they're not actually have the point where the thoughts are eliminated even an enlightened being is going to have an occasional thought during their meditation there's just going to be these long gaps of stillness and quietness between their thoughts and when they have a thought an enlightened being is going to be a observant of it right away and they're going to immediately observe that the mind's off the breath and they're going to cut it off and let it go and come back. So we'll have these long gaps in the mind where the mind is stilled and quieted. But as you're working your way towards that, the mind's cluttered. There's pollution in there. You're going to have maybe a bombardment of thought. But what you're going towards is not to actually eliminate the thoughts, but instead to quiet the mind and still the mind, make it so that you can more easily be aware that the mind is off the breath 
and when it's off the breath, more easily be able to let that go and come back to the breath. And the Buddha teaches this, he says, it's like a post or a pillar in the ground. And there's these six animals that are tied to this post and pillar. And these six animals are pulling in opposite directions. You know, the monkeys going to the forest, the alligators going to the river, the jackals going over here, the snakes going over here, the birds going over here. And they're all pulling in opposite directions. But when they keep pulling and pulling and pulling, they get to the end of the rope and they get yanked back and they get yanked back and they get yanked back. Eventually, when the animals pull and tug enough and they keep getting yanked back, eventually the animals learn that they can't leave from this post or this pillar and they just sit by the post and pillar. This is the quieting of the mind. So the mind is going to try to pull and pull in all these opposite directions. And your job is to be aware of that and then actively pull the mind back to this post or pillar. The post or pillar is your breath. That's that stable stand. So anytime you feel the mind pulling in any direction, either to the past or the future, or there's thoughts or ideas that are coming up in the mind, you would like to pull it back and yank it back. And over many sessions, many months and years, the mind gets better and better at just sitting by that post or that pillar by the breath because it realizes every time it moves off the breath, you keep yanking it back and you keep yanking it back. And the mind gets tired of this. This is why when someone first starts meditating, they can become very tired and very sleepy during meditation because it's so much work and so much effort. The mind keeps pulling in one direction and you're yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back. And it's like this internal struggle that you're training this mind and there's this internal struggle and it gets tired. And eventually when it gets tired, it'll just sit by that post and pillar. But it requires a lot of work to be able to get it to that point where the mind is stilled and quieted. So if you're having a lot of thoughts or your mind is wandering during meditation, that's normal. You're not bad at meditation. It's just an indication that you definitely need to meditate. And over the course of many months and years, you will refine your practice better and better to the point where you'll find these longer and longer gaps of stillness and quietness. You know, initially it might just be a couple of seconds that you experience those gaps. But you can use that as an indication that it's possible to get to the peacefulness and the quietness of mind. And then you would just like to expand that quietness more and more by continuing to observe the breath, focus on that, be aware when the mind is off the breath, and then pull it back to the post and pillar whenever it's off the breath. Thank you, teacher. Um, I do have one more question. <laughs> Sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. This is great. Questions make the class more full. We get a chance to talk about lots of other things. Okay. Um, so is it normal for one to maybe experience, like during daily activities where, um, I guess it wouldn't be zoning out, but maybe singleness of mind where it feels like zoning out a little bit, like if something is frustrating happening, for instance, and it's almost like going in and trying to empty the thoughts and empty the mind, but not meditating. Is that normal? But it appears to others like you're zoning out. <laughs> yeah, if you're having challenges during your day and you're going inward and kind of trying to investigate that and figure that out, that's very normal. That's very regular. 
the reason why we're training and breathing mindfulness meditation that whenever the mind's off the breath that we cut that off and let it go is that as we talked about the four noble truths that it's craving desire attachment that's causing the discontentedness what we're going to be talking about this sunday is the mental discipline of right effort right mindfulness and right concentration that when you train your mind like this and breathing mindfulness meditation and you're training the mind to more easily be aware and have awareness with mindfulness have concentration or singleness of mind and be able to easily let go of things so now if you train that way in meditation that in daily life when something happens and there's this anger arises you can more easily let that go and you can let the frustration go or the guilt or the shame or the boredom or the loneliness or whatever discontent feelings are coming up in the mind you can cut that off and let that go more easily because you've been training the mind to let things go really easily and when you do this in meditation and you do it in daily life then eventually you get to the point where this discontentedness doesn't even arise it doesn't even come up in the mind because you've trained the mind so well that it just always resides in the middle and it never experiences anger it never experiences sadness or shame or guilt this is an enlightened mind will have eliminated all these discontent feelings but the way that you accomplish that is you start building out your life practice which is the eightfold path so as you're building out your life practice meditation and breathing mindfulness meditation is key that you're building that awareness of mind and then in daily life when you are experiencing discontentedness you cut that off and let it go and if you need to go internal while you're doing that and really focus to train the mind to let go of that frustration then you can do that and if other people are observing that then that's fine that's up to them at least you're not causing any harm because once the mind's angered and frustrated that's where the unskillful speech or the unskillful actions come in and now when we're putting out unskillful speech and actions now we're causing harm and that harm's going to come back to us so by gaining this mental discipline and control of the mind now when you see discontentedness arising you can cut it off and let it go allow the mind to reside more peaceful then you won't have unskillful speech and actions for example thank you sir you're very welcome ma'am it seems that Basim has his hand, his hand raised. Let's go to him. Well, uh, in the book, you mentioned that, that there is no quick fixes. But uh, for one who is starting to practice meditation for the, let's say, the last two or three weeks, it seems that there is less and less thoughts in the mind. So uh, why meditating? And maybe even in daily life, in daily day to day. So uh, it seems that this meditation is actually a quick fix. And actually, it's, it's not like this. It's not only this, but uh, sometimes the mind is experiencing kind of amazing feelings and experiences of joy and uh, pleasure while meditation. So isn't this a quick fix? Yeah, so when you're doing the meditation and you're practicing the other teachings based on the way the Buddha taught, since he's the discoverer the declarer and the originator of the path to enlightenment the more you understand this path based on the words of the buddha the more direct wisdom that you're getting the more clear this path is the more you're practicing it that you can experience benefit in just a couple of days you know i'm teaching a class here in chiang mai right now a five-day class and one of the students came up to me on the second day at lunchtime and he said 
you know, I've been experiencing the most peacefulness in the last couple of days that I've experienced, you know, ever in my life probably. And it's only been, you know, a couple of days. This is the power of the words of the Buddha and that you're learning the actual teachings of the Buddha. But I don't consider it a quick fix because the mind isn't going to be completely fixed in terms of enlightenment in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. But you can notice significant improvement if you're doing the work. If you're learning and doing the work, you can observe in a relatively short period of time when you're learning with the words of a Buddha that, yeah, there's some immediate benefits. But I wouldn't call that a fix because the mind's not completely enlightened yet. To get to complete enlightenment, there's a lot of learning. This particular program is seven months long. And some people take this more than once. I've taught it four times now, and this is the fifth time. There's people that have taken it three or four times so far. And then after this program, that's seven months long, there's the Pali Canon in English study group, which is a year and a half. And some people might choose to take that more than once. So there's definitely a lot of learning, but you just do this gradually. You don't have to be an expert in all of this right now. The way that the unenlightened mind functions is it wants the objects of its affection. It wants it right now. So oftentimes people do want a quick fix. And when they realize that they actually have to put work in, they get dissuaded from the path. And what I like to encourage people to do right up front is to realize that there isn't a quick fix, that it's going to take some time. Uh, You're not even going to get enlightened in seven months. It's going to take some time because if you're 20 years old or 30 or 40 or 60 years old, your mind has been in this unenlightened state your entire life and all your prior lives as well. So you can't fix something that you've been living with for 20, 30, 50 years and many lifetimes before that. You can't fix it in just a couple of weeks or a couple of days, but you will notice benefit and the complete solution comes about as you continue to stay dedicated and diligent and determined on this path by continuing to be consistent with your meditation. If you miss meditation here and there, that's okay. You know, you would like to be consistent where you're meditating every day, but there's going to be occasions where you don't meditate for one reason or another. And your improvement and progress to enlightenment isn't going to be determined on missing that one meditation this month or that one meditation this week. But it's going to be determined based on what do you do once you miss that one meditation? Do you allow complacency to set in or do you get right back into your meditation practice and keep meditating? So someone who has a propensity or a consistent and ongoing practice where they're meditating over the course of two, three, four years, this person's going to get to enlightenment because they're dedicated and they're doing this over a long-term period. If somebody meditates for a couple of weeks, misses a couple of sessions, and then gets dissuaded, becomes complacent and gives up, that person obviously isn't going to be able to experience enlightenment until they build up their practice such that they're willing and able to motivate themselves to meditate over a consistent period of time. So rather than think about, oh my goodness, it's going to be three years or one year or 10 years before I get enlightened, rather than think about the longevity of this, instead, just think about right now. Today, you came to class. Today, you're listening to the replay. Today, you're listening to the podcast. Today, you did some meditation and just handle today. And then this evening, you know, you meditate again. And then tomorrow, you read your book. You know, you just take it one day at a time and you put together enough of these wholesome decisions 
that you're choosing to pick up the book, that you're choosing to come to class, that you're choosing to meditate, that you're choosing to get help, and you string together enough of these wholesome decisions that it all accumulates into the improvement of the condition of the mind in your life. So this uh, lasting or permanent uh, peace and joy in the mind, isn't this uh, enlightenment? Yes, if the mind is permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, that's enlightenment. If you experience anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, grief, pain, displeasure, sorrow, all of these things, that's the unenlightened mind. And it's being shaken up because it's unaware of how to actually train itself. It doesn't have the wisdom of these natural laws of existence of, and it hasn't been trained, so it keeps getting shaken up. But the more that you train the mind through these teachings, then it becomes stable and steady. And not only do you experience peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, but you experience this focus, concentration, this clarity of mind, and this deep memory that you didn't have in the unenlightened state. And this is how you can know that you're on the right path and that your practice is improving because you see the qualities of the mind enhancing. And this is how people knew that Gautama Buddha was a Buddha because they knew what it felt like to experience anger and sadness, for example. And then through his teachings, they were able to eradicate that and eliminate that. And they could see that the mind was peaceful and joyful and that this mental state was permanent. And as you're making your way to enlightenment, you'll be getting these glimpses of what enlightenment is like. So it's not like a switch that it's either on or off. That's not the way enlightenment works. You kind of gradually move up to it. And then you, on the way, you get these various glimpses. So what you were talking about, Basim, about someone who's maybe meditated for two or three weeks and they're experiencing this calmness or this joy starting to come into the mind. That's a person who's already starting to get these glimpses of what the real possibilities are. And then what you're looking to do is you're looking to expand that for wider and wider periods of time, that it's not just for a couple of minutes or a couple of hours, but it becomes wider and wider that you have these longer and longer periods where the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And when you get to the point where it's been a year or two or three and you haven't experienced any discontentedness whatsoever, then you'll know that the mind is enlightened. You may not be interested to convince the mind that you're enlightened, but you will know that, wow, all of this work is surely leading exactly where the Buddha said it would. And that's what those glimpses are there. Those glimpses are like a light flickering, but the light switch isn't completely on. So you'll get these flickers for many months and maybe even a year or two. You might get three months of complete peacefulness and then boom, there'll be some discontentedness that'll come in, but it won't be very significant. It'll be very minimal and it'll dissipate pretty quickly because you'll know how to eliminate it. And then you can go six months without any discontentedness. And then boom, you'll get a little bit of discontentedness that'll come in. But you'll know exactly why, you'll know how to handle it, and then it'll be gone fairly readily. But then eventually you'll get that one to three years and longer because it's permanent that your mind will just be utterly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And I share that this is like the beginning of the rest of your life. We've lived life in the unenlightened state for so long that we think that these discontent feelings are kind of normal and that we've just kind of accepted the fact that we're angry and frustrated and irritated and we oftentimes blame other people. 
But once you eradicate all that and the mind moves to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, it's like the beginning of the rest of your life because you've got this focus, this concentration, clarity of mind, and deep memory, and you can do anything and everything that you would be interested in doing. Not only is your mind and your life very peaceful and joyful, but you understand relationships very well. You're not struggling in life. You're not having these difficulties. You might still have challenges that you experience, but you have the wisdom of how to handle those because you know any challenge that you're experiencing, it's impermanent. Where in the unenlightened state, anything that happens to us in our life, we typically view it as a problem and we look for somebody else to blame for that problem. But what someone on the path to enlightenment is going to start to understand is that anything we experience in this life is a result of our own decisions. That by blaming other people, it doesn't actually solve the problem. But by taking responsibility for our emotions and our feelings and all the things that we're encountering in the world, it's just a matter of bringing the wisdom to bear for that challenge. And this challenge is impermanent and we can overcome it. And then as we do that with each individual challenge, then we gain more wisdom about if we're ever in that situation again, we'll know exactly how to handle it because we've gained the wisdom. But as long as we haven't gained the wisdom of all the various things that we need to gain wisdom about, those things are just going to keep repeating in our life like a cycle just over and over and over again until we gain the wisdom that we need to overcome those challenges and obstacles with wisdom. This really makes sense. Thank you, teacher. You're very welcome. Jan also has her hand raised. Let's go to her then. <laughs> thank you, Miranda. Um, thank you, teacher David. Um, I have a question about when we are, um, you know, going about our daily activities and trying to keep your mind in the middle, trying to keep it centered. You know, um, sometimes we have to think ahead about things that we're going to be doing in the future. And um, there's some anticipation, especially let's say you're planning a trip, you know, that you're looking forward to vacation um, or some other thing of this sort. Um, so I'm curious if you could help us understand what would be the difference between, you know, reasonable, wise, planning ahead and letting your mind just kind of get lost in anticipating something. Sure. So when we're looking to do things in the future, you know, we can do planning, we can do future planning, we can have goals and objectives or interests of things that we would like to accomplish. But it's when the mind craves and yearns and desires and has expectations that we're setting ourselves up to fail. So when we plan these various things, rather than allowing the mind to look forward to it and gosh, I really want to do that thing, instead be like, all right, well, I'm going to try to take a holiday in six months from now and I'd like to maybe go to the Bahamas and that would be a really enjoyable time. So let me start saving the money and start looking at prices and start getting this thing planned out. But you're not going to allow your mind to get so excited and elated and grab onto this and hold on to it with a bunch of craving, this yearning, this longing, these wants and these expectations, because that's just setting yourself up to fail. So where you see the mind starting to move into these pleasant feelings, because of the idea and the planning of a holiday, you restrain the mind and you pull it back and you allow your mind to enjoy it, but realize that it may or may not occur. I may or may not be able to go to the Bahamas. Even if you have the money, even if you have the time off, even if you have the willingness to do it, you never know what might happen along the way. You know, you could sprain your ankle, you could fall and break your leg and not be able to go or something like this. Or maybe there's a death in the family and you need to go 
handle that rather than go to your holiday. So if we allow the mind to have these expectations or these wants, these cravings about the things that we're planning, then when impermanence comes along and shakes everything up, then the mind can't maintain these pleasant feelings because they're conditioned on going to the Bahamas. And now because the mind is holding on to that so tightly, now when you need to go to your friend's funeral or your family's funeral, now you're disgruntled or angry about that. So you make these plans, you make these things that you would like to do and just don't allow the mind to hold on to it, cling to it or yearn for it or crave it. And just know when you're making the plans, this may or may not happen. That's the best way is just always remind yourself of that, that, okay, I'm going to do this and I'll book the tickets and I'm going to plan in the direction of going to the Bahamas, but this may or may not happen. We'll have to see when we get closer. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Awesome has his hand raised. So let's go to him. Well, uh, on YouTube, we have a question from Matricia. She writes, hello, David, for those that may not make the June retreat, what do you consider doing an online retreat? I've thought about online retreats, but I haven't really decided to do it because we've got all these other classes going on and the time zones are so different that it would be hard to kind of get everybody or not everybody, but get a, a significant amount of people that can participate in an online event that way. I'm interested in doing something like that, but I find that the in-person retreats are best because usually in a retreat environment, you're talking about, you know, maybe three or four hours worth of training and then, you know, going off and doing something else. And then another three hours of training or so. If we were doing this online, it would require a lot of time online. And some people get really maxed out with that kind of thing. And I feel like the group learning program and the Polycanon and English study group are enough of that. Like we have enough online programs that people can gradually learn online. The thing that I'm looking to improve upon is the in-person activities. So the retreat in the U.S., I'm looking to do a pilgrimage tour to all the original sites of the Buddha this winter around Christmas. And then I'm starting to teach more and more here in Chiang Mai as well. We just had a new classroom that was offered to us at a temple here in Chiang Mai that I can start doing in-person learning a lot more there. So I feel like we've got the online world fairly well covered with the three days of week of training. And, you know, we're not calling it a retreat. Sometimes that word has a little bit of fanciness to it. And we like that word retreat. But you can think about this group learning program in the Pali Canon and English study group as a retreat over a seven month period or over a year and a half period. And I feel like the online programs that we have already are accomplishing that really well. And now what I'd like to do is focus on the in-person time. Well, uh, no more question on YouTube, sir. All right. How about you, Miranda? Any questions from Zoom or Facebook? Um, no, sir. I haven't had any questions on Facebook Live, sir. All right. Well, then we'll just kind of end class here. And I'll remind you guys that this Sunday we're doing the third class of that three-part series of The Eightfold Path. We're going to be exploring the mental discipline of the Eightfold Path, which is right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. This is where I feel like the Buddhist teachings really stand out because you start seeing how this whole path ties together. Because so far we talked about wisdom and moral conduct, which is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. 
But now we're going to go into this mental discipline that really talks about how to train the mind and control the mind and what you should be doing in meditation and outside of meditation and how all of these steps of the Eightfold Path connect. So by the end of Sunday's class, you will have had a a bit of an overview with some in-depth study of what the Path to Enlightenment looks like. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be in our breathing mindfulness meditation class where I'm going to just be welcoming all of you guys and then we'll go right into breathing mindfulness meditation and do that as a group and then do the same thing where we open up to any questions that you have. So any challenges that you're encountering with your meditation practice or any other aspect of this path, you'll be able to get help on that in the Wednesday class. And in the meantime, you can always make a post in Facebook. You can send a private message or schedule a personal guidance session as well. So I'll see you guys in either Sunday's class and or Wednesday's class. And in the meantime, have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.